in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're coming to the part where we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. And so at first I thought I might just bundle a bunch of these together at some point, but I think there is enough for us to talk about with each piece of the armor of God. And so I want to read that section again, and then I want to talk specifically about this one piece. Now, the reason I think we can talk about each piece is that in a very real sense, each piece is just another way of talking about the whole. And so it's, it's not as if we're going to be, so yes, one talks about the feet and one talks about the head, and yet in a very real sense, they're all talking about a very same thing of protecting the life of the believer. And so what is it we're protecting? Why are we protecting it? And who are we protecting it from are all pieces to the same situation that as we discuss each piece, it helps us understand it better. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith which with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may, be, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So first, a quick overview. He says, pray for me that utterance might be given to me. So we're praying for the Apostle Paul, just as we pray for other, the missionaries of our day. When we know that someone is going um, into the mission field, we pray for them. For instance, right uh, yesterday afternoon, Joseph Verissimo flew to Peru to go visit the church in Peru. So he, he was communicating with me last night as he was, uh, was landing, I think, in Lima. And so he is on the for the Tuesday evening gathering of the church down there, Pastor Abel asked Joseph if he would share his testimony and if he would share um, just a 30-minute message of some kind. And so as he is, is looking at sharing, he was, he was just brainstorming with me a little bit on, because I know him, what is it that he could actually share with them that might be an encouragement. And so I was praying for him in the same way that I appreciated if you pray for me if I go there. And so whenever we know that someone is being an ambassador, then we want to pray for them. Um, there's been the last couple of Monday nights, Stacy has been meeting with these two ladies that are Jehovah's Witnesses. And she's just been saying, look, I want, she told them at the beginning, she said, I'm very interested in knowing what you believe and understanding it. Um, I am 
they come in and they, they ask a bunch of questions. They, this is what the questions they said. They said, what do, you, what do you do with the pain in the world? Um, I forget how the questions were all worded, but every single question they asked, Stacy was like, well, this is what I do with that. I am at peace, and you're wrong. Christians don't actually believe that. Um, and so, because they had several things that they presented that they were like, well, Christians believe that when we die, we'll become angels or whatever, something like that. And she was like, no, actually, Christians don't believe that. And they were like, really? And so, one of the things that we have learned in the process is that it's possible that all of those who really truly love God don't actually love Jehovah's Witnesses and don't want to talk with them about things. And so it's sometimes good to correct what their perception is of Christianity. Both of the ladies that are coming have c- converted from some other evangelical faith, but were like not actually Christians beforehand. Like this is the first time they took anything seriously. So when Stacy's up there talking with them and I'm headed up, I'm always praying for her, Lord, use her. And so I think it's happening in a lot of ways because she's been able to ask, just trying to understand, ask a lot of questions that they had never thought of, that they was not part. Because the reality is that the the very premise of the, what they, what their whole church is built on was actually a lie. And so they're stuck with a misunderstanding of how translation and Bible translation works. And that's the beginning. So when you start with a premise that's off, then you go farther and farther astray. And and, unless someone comes and says, excuse me, that is not real. So for instance, even now in this day and age, because of how many people have corrected them on it, they finally understand that They'll, they'll still say it, but then if you challenge them on it, they'll, they'll know. If they say something like, you know, when they, when they wrote the New Testament, they took Jehovah out of it. And you say, well, hold on just a second. Jehovah is a, is a Hebrew word, and you don't say Jehovah in Greek. And so they didn't take it out. They translated it. Oh, and so they've had to deal with things like that. But for the average person, you can come to them and say, they took Jehovah out of the Greek New Testament. They, you go look and you're like, you're right, it's not there. Except, I think, two or three times when they actually kept the old name. And so it's an interesting thing that when you start with a premise that is off, you start going farther and farther away. So the question or, or the, 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 the process of sharing a, the gospel in a situation like that for Stacy has more to do with asking questions in a genuine attempt to understand. And any time that you have anyone in your life who has some faulty understanding of any doctrine, questioning is actually a good way to move forward. Say, well, explain this to me and explain this to me. And, and what you can do, many, many times what you'll find out is that um, if there are disagreements in the church, um, Stacy and I have been listening to C.S. Lewis in, in the evenings. We do one chapter a night off of that English uh, accent YouTube that I told you about last week. So we just, you, it's somebody, the, the, uh, an entire, the entire book is, is read by him. And I really appreciated his preface that he wrote when he republished this uh, the second time, which is the copy that most of us get. But in the preface, he writes, he has this example. And he says, you know, people will tell you that how could I be a Christian if Christians themselves disagree so mightily? And he brings out a point that I think is very good for us to realize. The, ex- the, the example he uses is that there's a house, and in the house, there's a big hallway, and off of the hallway are different rooms. When you come to the house, and he used the example of his, his book, Mere Christianity, he said this book is to talk about the hallway. In the hallway, 
whatever rules that apply to the whole house apply to you in the hallway. You cannot be in the hallway without having some of the house rules apply to you, right? However, if you go into this room, there will be additional customs and traditions and perhaps rules. If you go across the hallway to the other room, there are other traditions and things that they do there. But in the rooms is where the actual physical contact, the actual food, the actual fellowship, the actual praying for each other happens. And so it's imperative for a person to not just stay in the hallway, but to find the room in which they fit and to be in there. And he said, what, what, you, what, you, what you don't realize a lot of times is because people will throw that out there. And he, and he came from that place himself where you say there's so much difference with all, you know, if they don't even know what they believe, then how could we know? Uh, how could I know which one is right? But when you get there, what you find out is that each of these rooms in the house actually believe the house rules. There are certain things that apply to the entire house. And those talk in, in in plain language, talking about who Jesus is, that he is Christ, the anointed one of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is fully God and fully man, come to earth and he lived among us and he, was, he did miracles while he was here, that he fulfilled the prophecies while he was here and then he was killed by, by hanging on a tree thereby taking the curse of our, our curse, the curse of sin, and he was buried and then he rose again and he sits now, he has ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. See, when you walk through the house and you stick your head into each of those rooms, every one of those rooms believes that. What, they, what we disagree on is, how is he coming back again? Or when, or, you know, we, and and when, it, we, when you push us on that, we actually will all say, well, he said no one knows the day or the hour. So we don't actually know when he's coming. However, here are our thoughts. And so each room will have their thoughts on how he's coming back. Um, and then, you, then we say things like, okay, so Jesus said, and every one of those rooms will agree that Jesus said that you have to repent from your sins. And so some of us say, well, here's what repentance looks like. And someone else will say, actually, we don't have to lie down on the cold flagstone and beat ourselves with whips to repent. There's other ways of repenting. So you'll find that there is a difference in how we might look at repentance. However, we all agree that we need to repent and turn from our sins. We all agree that we need to be baptized. But there again, we might say we want to baptize someone with water poured on the head or someone immersed in the water. But we all agree that we should be baptized. In fact, one of the rooms that I personally know of will say, well, you need to be baptized in the spirit. And it's not so much about the water. And so the baptism is still there, but the method can change a little bit within the rooms of the house. Occasionally, you will run into a group that says, we don't like the house, and they go start their own thing out there somewhere in the street. That is not part of Christianity. They might use some of the same books, they might use some of the same names and things, but it's not actually one of the houses of, of God. The house of God is all under the same roof and we all have a certain things in common. And when you stop and look at the doctrines that we talk about that are here in scripture, there is more in common than we realize. What he said, what C.S. Lewis said as he was talking about this in a later chapter, he said, the only thing that all the groups seem to agree on is how important their disagreements are. And I thought, that's kind of sad. 
<laughs> and, and, and that is, seems to be true sometimes where we're like, okay, this is really important. And, and, and someone else says, actually, the other thing is. And so, so as we come to the armor of God, one of the things that you and I are looking at this is saying, why are we even caring about this? And chances are you have already prayed for a missionary, like I talked about a minute before. Chances are you've already walked into a scenario where you were trying to talk, where you were like, man, I really need someone to pray for me. And when we read scripture, we find out that Jesus himself is making intercession for us. That's comforting. But that is also one of our callings. One of our things that we're supposed to do is to pray for each other. And that is part of what we're doing. We're praying that as we go outside into the world and we bump into the people that we work with or that we work for or that just at the grocery store or wherever, in that process, we want to be part of what God is doing. Now, how the armor of God works, and, and I will get to the breastplate in a minute, but I wanted to cover a few of these overarching things first. For instance, growing up, after I left the Amish, growing up in a, in a more uh, kind of an Anabaptist church that was becoming awakened to the fact of spiritual warfare. You see, in the Anabaptist circles, we were so nonviolent and so pacifist that we wouldn't even resist the devil. Like, I mean, that was what it had gotten down to, was where we kind of, whatever happens, happens. And so whatever bad things were going, well, it must be the will of God. And you just walk into, it must be the will of God. It's happening, so it's got to be the will of God. When we stop and examine that way of thinking, we realize that God himself looked at everything that was going on in the world and said, it is not okay. It is not okay to the level that I'm gonna send my son to earth to die because what's happening down there is not okay. And so it is perfectly godly for us to look at a scenario, a situation and say, this is not God's will. This is not okay. It's, it's, it is within orthodoxy to say that. You can say that something is not the will of God. When you see something broken in the world that does not in any way affect God's ability to save or God's sovereign ability to rule. When you say that something is not the will of God and you see it playing out on the earth, that does not impact his sovereign power, okay? So it's important for us to see that. And because Jesus himself left his home in, in heaven and came down and walked among us and did things, we as his Believers are expected to leave our comfort places and go out among the people and do things. And what those things are is different depending on what your callings and your gifts and your age and your gender and where you live are. But there is something that you're being asked to walk out there and do. And so that's why we need armor because it's dangerous out there. The same enemy that was trying to crucify Christ is still trying to destroy you. So the enemy of God has put his crosshair on you and says, I want to destroy that one. Actually, all of us. When he, and and this, is the, this is the really pernicious thing about Satan is that it's not enough that he wants to destroy believers, but he wants to destroy anybody that is an image bearer, anyone that looks like 
that reminds him of the creation and that the creator God said, I've made man in my image. So we have an enemy. So it's really, really important that when we walk outside, in fact, when we wake up in our beds, um, any moment of consciousness, we need to have some awareness that there is a battle going on. And I, I think of, you know, when we, when we look at the modern terrorist kind of wars versus the older wars that are still within the living memory of our nation, we see two different kinds of warfare going on. One is the enemy stands up and says, I am your enemy and I hate you and I'm coming to get you. And then they march out in rows carrying their flag. And we say, well, we would rather not die. And so we march out in rows with our flags and our colors. And then we line up and we create battle lines. And you can make a map and say, right here is the battle line. And that's the enemy. And this is us. And then we fight. And the winner moves forward. And finally, the loser will have to surrender. But the new war that we've seen in, in recent decades is the enemy comes out and says, yes, we hate you and we're going to kill you, but we're not going to tell you when or where or how. And then they try to put on sometimes our own uniforms and show up inside our own enemy lines and try to blow us up. And suddenly it's a very difficult war. And so in the Christian walk, it would be really, really, really nice if on the day that you're going to be tempted, some goat-like creature with a pitchfork with a red tail would show up and say, today I'm tempting you. And we're like, oh, phew, thank you for warning me. I will know to resist you today. You're ugly. You know, that would be nice. But that's not the way it is. The enemy has come inside our lines and is being subversive to the extent that he will sometimes use us to tempt each other. And that's pretty rough when you stop and think about it. So therefore, the armor of God is really important. We need to be wearing our armor. We need to be wary because we have a mission and we have an enemy and we want to survive. Simply put, at least I do. And I will tell you this. When temptation walks up to me in flesh and blood and says exactly what it wants, I find it often repulsive and easy to resist. When temptation comes alongside and is simpering and not clear what it wants, it becomes harder to resist that temptation. So I don't know what temptations you're dealing with. I don't know what enemy or how the enemy is attacking you, but I know this, the enemy is attacking you and he is out trying to get you. So that is why we need the whole armor of God. And today I'm talking about the breastplate of righteousness and this is especially important because the breastplate protects the heart. And this is where, when I look at the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, and I think of helmet and what all it protects and what all is in my head. And then I think of the breastplate of righteousness. There's actually only one other piece. Well, there is, there is my least favorite piece, just so you know this. My least favorite piece of the armor of God is the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace because it seems to suggest that I have to put on the armor and then I have to go and do something. And I personally 
and more of the ilk that would like to put on the armor and look nice and then perform a little stage play or perhaps a tableau and just stand in one spot and you come and admire. But that's not what I was called to do. I'm called to go out, to fight, and to win. And so, putting on the armor of God, specifically the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when we talk about putting it on, there are two things I want to always keep in mind. One is we can literally pray through here and imagine putting on the full armor of God. And we can pray. You can start by your feet and work your way up, or you can do it in the order that it's in here or head to toe, however you want to do it. You can pray through the armor of God and say, Lord, this morning I take on the helmet of salvation. Protect my eyes, my mind, my thoughts, my ears. Protect me from the enemy, and, and I want to see you. We can go on down and say, Lord, thank you for your righteousness. We can go through it. We can pray through it. I want to put this on this morning. And that's a good prayer exercise. I myself do that. I don't think that's a bad thing. But there is another level to this where it's not just putting on something and now, uh, you know, where you say a few words and therefore you're a winner. It's got a little bit more to it than that. It's not magic. The heart is a really good example of this. The breastplate is designed to protect your heart. And if you've read in the prophets, you will have heard these words. Jeremiah 17, 9, for example, where it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so here's my dilemma. I told you that there are times when the enemy tempts me with another one of the soldiers next to me. The enemy doesn't just have allies next to me. He has an ally within me. I have a heart that is desperately wicked. I have a heart that the enemy can come and whisper to. And the heart will turn to me and say, don't worry, Joseph. We're not actually going to do anything bad. But we want to think about it. And so next thing you know, my own heart is deceiving me and the enemy is inside the camp. The enemy is in here. So now at this point, what good does it do if I say, oh, let's put on the breastplate. Let's protect this heart. If it's wicked and festering, I have gained nothing other than a, a, a weapon. I'm, I'm protecting my own enemy. And so it has done nothing for me. And so as we look at the armor of God, this is perhaps the worst thing, is that we can be our own enemy and we can destroy ourselves from within. And when we get to talking about the helmet of salvation, and we talk about the sword of the spirit. Did you know that the sword of the spirit being the word of God, that there are times when I use the word of God to condemn myself and there's times when I use the word of God to build myself up and to explain how I walk with Christ. And it's important that I know how to use this sword because just as real as a person like Saul, King Saul, can turn his sword and fall on it and kill himself, in the same sense, you and I can take our weapons, the truth that we have been told, and we can turn them against ourselves and we can destroy ourselves. And so we have a problem that we're trying to overcome and just putting on the shiny armor doesn't necessarily take care of it. We've got to deal with the heart. And so... You know, if you've, if you've read through the heart passages in the Old Testament, that there are prophecies made in which 
God promises to take out our hard hearts and replace them with a heart that is soft toward him. And if you look through the New Testament and you see the different places where it talks about the heart, it's really good for us to consider these things. For instance, even here in Ephesians, if you just go back a few chapters, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And right here, this is part of the mystery. Okay, your heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Where does Christ dwell? In that spot. Okay, so now if I think I bring my heart to Jesus and he gives me, and, and what does it say over in Romans 10? These are familiar verses for many of us. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And right here, I believe, is, is part of our strongest case for us being uh, wearing the armor of God and wearing his colors. Because in, in a war out there, when, when a soldier comes and signs up, and you say, okay, so what we're going to do in training is we're going to periodically make an oath of allegiance to our king, or in, our, in America's case, our flag. And, and the person says, actually, I don't want to do that. I just want to wear the uniform, and I just want access to your weapons, but I don't want to swear allegiance to your cause. Well, any sensible person will say, ah, that doesn't work. You cannot wear these clothes and wear these colors if your allegiance isn't to our cause, because that would be confusing. Because you might be swearing allegiance to our enemy while wearing our colors, and that would be very difficult for us. So no, 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 you have to swear allegiance to our cause. Well, here's our heart, and with this heart, we, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ. We, because of the confession of our mouth, we are wearing his colors. We are wearing his armor. And then it says that he is dwelling in our hearts. And that's worth protecting. That's worth putting the breastplate over and say, Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, dwelling in my heart, the place of deception and wickedness, the place that of me, of any part of me, needs to be most redeemed to have his sanctification, his presence in there. That is the best thing. I want to protect that. In a sense, this is the apparatus for believing that you have. You want to clarify, clear it. You know, um, clarify is what I was going to say, but I don't mean in that way. I mean, like, you want to cleanse it. It needs to be made clean. It needs to be made new. And then once it's new, it needs to be protected. Because just as in some of the wars we've been part of, you get out to the front line, you get out there, and suddenly the enemy has erected loudspeakers and is speaking propaganda across the line. And if you, when you hear the propaganda, and you will hear it, when you hear the propaganda, if your heart is not 100% set on Jesus Christ, you will start hearing the propaganda, and you'll be like, that makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe I should go over there. But it's very important that the breastplate of righteousness is on, that we are protecting our heart from that propaganda, that we're able to hear the truth. 
And that from hearing the truth, we can then, because when we, um, it's back, I think it's in that same chapter in Romans. I just wanted to look at this again. It's in Romans 10, on down in verse 17. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we think of the word believing and the word faith to be very similar because they are. So when I put my faith in Jesus, I can also say I believe in Jesus. And so how does faith come? It comes by hearing. I need to protect what this heart is hearing. And believe me, this heart doesn't just hear words. This heart hears emotions. This heart, when, when I go and watch a movie, when I go, wherever I go, there are many places I go day by day where I'm hearing different things with my heart. An emotional, psychological sort of hearing. And I can be deceived. And I can be drawn away after other things. And I want to protect this heart that once it's hearing Jesus, that it really hears Jesus. That I'm protecting that. That's what I want to protect. So, in a very real sense, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is protecting my believer. So I am a believer in Jesus Christ, but my heart is the believer, right? It's the part that believes. It's the, it's the believing part. And so when I put on the breastplate of righteousness, I'm protecting my believer inside me. That's what I'm protecting. I want to be able to believe because I've been there in certain areas of my life. You can get there really fast. And it gets to where you become a little bit, um, you hear something, you see something, and after a while, you're like, you know, no one actually is honest all the way. And you can become jaded. You can get to the point where you see through everything. Um, you know, one of the hard things for me is having been around church culture and having been around places where I would hear people use the same terminology over and over and over again until it had no more meaning. And then I'd be out of it for a while and I'd come back in and someone would use one of those words and I'd be like, I don't trust you because we walked through those doors and that word came to your mouth and out there you never said any of these words, but in here you've got, and so I become, I'm seeing through everything and I'm here and it's easy to become around other believers to kind of see through everything, to become, and, and you know, there's a quote, someone said it better than I can say it, but I think it might be a C.S. Lewis quote again, but basically if you start seeing through everything where you, it's, it's your own discernment becomes so good that you can just, you can, after a while you will live in a transparent world and it will be useless. There's nothing left of substance. And so it is very important that I do not get to that point where I am not able to believe anything because I need to believe in something, in someone. And so I'm protecting my heart on so many levels. I'm protecting it from myself. I'm protecting it from the enemy. I'm protecting it from the world. I'm protecting it from uh, the scornful spirit that I was speaking of a couple Sundays ago. I'm protecting it from so many places. And so it's necessary for us to protect the part of us that is able to believe. We were reading this week. Um, I read this out loud to Stacy. I found this article, and you, some of you have heard the story, but... Um, one of the Russian leaders, Boris, Boris Yeltsin. A couple months before the Iron Curtain fell, Boris 
had come to Houston, Texas, because the United States had invited some of the people from Russia to come and see our, inner, you know, our space program. It's basically to say, come watch us win. That was basically what it was, right? And so, they, but they came, and then as they were leaving and going back to the airport, they made an unscheduled stop at a little grocery store at a suburb of Houston. And so they go in, and so you can imagine all of the, the people of state and Boris Yeltsin and all these people, they walk into this grocery store, and, and it was a Randall's, which I don't know where else they have Randall's, but there's it's a Randall's grocery store, and it's just like a lot of our other grocery stores. You go in, there's lots of groceries. You and I would not be surprised or shocked if we saw this grocery store. Boris Yeltsin walks in, he sees all the stuff on the shelves, and he starts... But because this was a, an unplanned visit, he was like, so are all the grocery stores like this one? And he literally said, because it attracted some attention that the Russian, um, I can't say that word, but all the cars that, that, that came and showed up at this place. So there was a news reporter actually there interviewing them as they were leaving and they, and they were asking a few questions. But one of the things that was said by Boris Yeltsin in that grocery store was basically, if my people knew that these existed, we would be in so much trouble. Because grocery stores in Russia were, you might have one option in each thing and maybe there wouldn't even be one option for everything. And here you come in, you've got this many brands, you've got this many knockoffs, you've got all the store brands, you've got so many options. You want it with salt? Uh, no, okay, there's another option. Do you want it with, you know, and you have all the options. And a simple thing like walking into a grocery store made Boris Yeltsin say, and he, he was asking, so are all the grocery stores in America like this one? And everyone's like, well, yeah, yeah, that's, this is a grocery store, that's what they look like. And it changed. I don't know what happened when he got back to Russia, but in two months later, the wall came down. The curtain came down, however you want to say that. And so with that, that thought of you and I wearing the armor of God, going out into the world, there are times when we have only believed a certain things. And in this instance, it's if you've only been shopping in Russia behind the Iron Curtain, you've only seen grocery stores that look like this. But there comes a day when you have the chance and you're outside in a different place and you see something that you're not accustomed to seeing. And when you see that, you say, why have I been stuck back over here? And this is the part of your heart that I really want you to not just protect, but to cultivate. And it has to do with this. There are fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ that in your little country, the grocery store may not be carrying it. But when you walk out and you start seeing it in other people and you say, wait a minute, you mean you have joy in that many varieties? I got one kind of joy. And it's kind of weathered and brown looking. And you see it in someone else. There needs to be something in your heart that is able to respond and say, wow, is that also available to me? And that's what we're trying to protect. 
Because one way that you will not believe is, see, if Boris Yeltsin would have said to the heads of state and to his hosts over here in the United States, said, now, when I'm over there, I want to go to a grocery store. Then he would have thought, because of what they did over there, is that, the mo- that when they took him to a grocery store, they would have taken him to one specially prepared one with a few specially prepaid actors in it. But because he hadn't announced it or said that he wants to go anywhere, he just showed up and he was shocked by what he found. And potentially it has changed the world. A grocery store in Texas might have changed the world. We, we, we don't know the whole story for this, but it, it's an amazing thought to stop and consider what that meant. And so for you and I, we often arrive unexpectedly in someone else's life. And if we are used to putting the best foot forward and only showing the best part of our heart and shining our armor, then when we walk into someone else's life and we see a genuine joy or a genuine peace or a genuine love or a genuine patience or a genuine faithfulness, we might assume that it's a bit of propaganda that they've put up to show us. But I want my heart to be able to walk into your life, see the fruit of the Spirit that's there, and to say, wow, I want that too. And to genuinely believe and respond to Christ in you to grow what Christ can do in me. What I do not want to protect is an unredeemed heart. The heart must be redeemed in order for the breastplate of righteousness to even be available. There's an interesting thing. I was looking, uh, just looking through several concepts of righteousness and and the armor, and I wanted to look at this one more, and it's in in Jeremiah again, and there's a prophecy that's almost identical with one little twist different. And if I'm reading this wrong, you can talk to me at lunchtime about this. But Jeremiah 23, and I'm actually only going to read the prophecy, so I'm not even giving the context. So you will have to forbear me on that one. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, if you'll turn with me another 10 chapters later, Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 33 in verse 14. Prophecy again, almost identical. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, I don't know if you saw the difference that was here, but the first one in, verse, uh, in Jeremiah 23, verse 6, it says, now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. It's like a title. 
But in the second prophecy in Jeremiah 33, it says, Jerusalem will dwell safely, and this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. When I first read through that, I was like, well, somebody made a mistake. Like, this is, if this is the same prophecy, if this is the same God, then why are we saying to Jerusalem, your name will be called the Lord, our righteousness, while over here we say that his name by which he will be called is the Lord, our righteousness. And I suppose you might finagle it around and try to say that Judah himself is what was being referred to and that he will be called this. But I believe this. I believe that when God comes, when the branch of, of David comes, when the root of Jesse comes, which is Jesus Christ, when he comes into a life, he comes as righteousness himself. And we, he is righteousness. And so when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we are saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ in his righteousness. And we've just talked about our heart and we realize that many times this part is where we really need some help. We can't do this ourselves. So we cry out to God, we confess our sins, and we expect that he washes us clean with the blood of Jesus and he becomes our righteousness. But then, once he has made us clean and we have been made his, we carry his name and we become the righteousness of God. And when I look at that and I look at myself and I know what's in here and, and, and I think, how does this happen? This is truly a mystery and it's a miracle and I want to protect it. Therefore, the breastplate needs to stay on because I want to protect the righteousness of God in me. When it comes to shining our armor, one of the surest ways for us to do it is not to get out our elbow grease and try a little harder, but it's to run to the cross and say, Lord, have mercy. I need you. And to realize that he himself is the righteousness that is within my heart, and he himself is the righteousness that protects my heart. And I do not want to ever find myself you know, you've seen them. You go into, some, some people have them in their homes. It's really cool. I've seen them in, in museums and other places. But you walk up and you see an entire knight in shining armor. And you go over and you lift the visor and you look inside and there's nobody in there. It's just a suit of armor standing there. I do not want to be that suit of armor just standing there. I want to be full of a redeemed, sanctified human being that is, over, is saturated and overwhelmed by Jesus Christ. That's what I want. And so the breastplate of the righteousness is not just a shiny thing, but the breastplate of righteousness is Jesus Christ himself, and he is protecting the work he has done in my heart. And so as we think about putting on the full armor of God, we think about the purpose. We want to be able to go out and be ambassadors but we must be able to speak the truth. We must be able to wield the sword of the spirit without hurting ourselves or others. We must be able to protect ourselves from the enemy within, from the enemy outside. And this is, for you and me, a very practical step. Because we can pray through it and say, Lord, I want to put on your armor, and we can say those things. But the very practical thing is that any time you look up in your life and you notice something that you sense is not pleasing to the Spirit of God, the surest way to put on the armor of God is to say, Lord, I've got a problem here. 
I want to deal with it, to confess it quickly to God, to potentially confess it to man, depending what it is, to confess it to someone else, to pray, to allow him to transform that so that you can put on the breastplate of righteousness and that we can have, do everything and remain standing not welded together at the joints like an empty suit of armor, but a living being empowered by Jesus Christ, wearing the armor of God, ready to go forth into battle and ready to win even the inner battles, not just the outside battles, but to win all the battles. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us the armor of God and that in it you have given us yourself and you've revealed yourself. Lord, you say that... um, that we can be hidden with you, in, with Christ in God. You give us the imagery of walking before us as a shepherd. You give us the, the picture of being hidden underneath your wings. And Father, in all of these, we see some of your heart. And we see the fact that you love us and you care for us and you want to protect us. So Lord, I pray for each one of us today that as we're dealing with the heart issues that come to us, that each one of our battles are slightly different and yet they spring from the same place. Father, we want to submit our hearts to you. And I just ask for each person here, Lord, that you would awaken in us, that as we hear your word, that we would respond to you and say, I want that fruit. I want what you have. I want the best fruit that you have, Lord. And that we would long after you and that we would pursue you. And that in so doing, Lord, not only would we wear the breastplate, but that our hearts themselves would be worth protecting and that our hearts themselves would be submitted and that they would be fertile ground for your kingdom, Lord. Father, thank you for not just rescuing us, but protecting us and equipping us after you've rescued us. Lord, we love you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.